0: This is Hitchcock Happy Hour, a film podcast where we discuss our favorite movies from the classics to today's box office hits, one cocktail at a time. Cheers! Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of
1: Hitchcock Happy Hour. I'm Sara Shaw. And I'm Lydia Jordan. And today we are talking about one of the best movies probably of all time. We're talking about the cult classic The Princess Bride. What oh, a sorry. hard
0: pivot for you for your sentiment from
1: last week about
0: this movie that you had not seen in a long time or ever.
1: No, 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 I, I've seen it before, but oh, okay, um okay. I love this movie. Uh I grew up thinking I hated it because my mom hated it and it was hilarious. Sorry, this we're just gonna go straight into left turn territory. My dad was visiting, <laughs> we're just tangenting all over the place. Um, my dad was visiting earlier this week and he didn't know that my mom hates that movie. And so I told him we had to watch it, so he agreed to watch it with me while he was here. And it was hilarious because we mentioned it to my mom, and she's like, oh, God, that movie's the worst. And he's like, I didn't know you hated that movie. She's like, I despise this movie. And he had no idea, but we couldn't get her to explain why she hates it. So
0: I, I don't she's... understand what there is to
1: hate about this movie because it's it's so funny. <laughs> I don't know either. And she could not articulate why she hates it, so I feel like it doesn't count. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. Sue has has
1: opinions. I know.
0: I was like, did Buttercup, like, do something to her
1: personally? Or was (laughs) it? Raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by Buttercup. (laughs) Sue's, like, "Eh." Sue's reviews (laughs) is, like, me. Um, I was.
0: Well, this is such a fun movie, and I think we needed kind of, like, a fun, light, breezy cocktail for this. So, Lydia, I would just love it. I would just be so honored if you would tell us what we are
1: drinking today. Well, let me grace you with this week's drink because this <laughs> week we are drinking an Amaro and Tonic, which who knew, who knew? <laughs> It's delicious. Um, I might like it more than a gin and tonic. Is that wrong to say? I'm really no, into this. No, because
0: it's not super bitter because gin is also really bitter. And so if you add, like gin and tonics, if you don't like bitter, not for you. This is has kind of like a the sweetness of the amaro, but amaro's not that overpowering. Uh, and it's it's like, so refreshing. It's, like it's too, spicy and like yeah.
1: delicious.
0: Yeah, it's delicious. It's um two ingredients, but Lydia and I did added a third ingredient, but didn't tell. We didn't coordinate that. We just happened we just to add it. lime <laughs> because we like things zesty we love a zest but yeah i'm like upset obs- like who like who knew i love this drink it's so easy and so refreshing for like a hot summer day it's perfect so move over shirley temple or whatever what's dirty
1: shirley dirty shirley get out of here shirley temple get you out of bitch. here shirley
0: temple you
1: <laughs> child actress you
0: <laughs> i like how i went
1: for bitch and you went for child <laughs> actress same difference, am I right? Similar vibes. I don't know. <laughs> um, well,
0: yeah, let's. Uh, I'm really excited to just talk about this movie. And clearly, this drink is pretty strong
1: because
0: I'm. Well, I too already drank it.
1: half of it, and I'm just feeling great, <laughs> so I'm ready. I love it. Well, tell us about the Princess Bride. <laughs> well, Sarah, I'm gonna break out my book and read to you like the old grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick child real. that you're... <laughs> Put away your story. video games, Timmy. It's time to read.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Tiny Tim plot twist, he's the Scrooge. <laughs> Ooh, yes. <laughs> Put away your video games, Timmy. <laughs> That's the new tagline for this podcast. They're <laughs> well, like, I don't get it. <laughs>
1: Gotta watch The Princess Bride. It's fine. It's it's niche. <laughs> All right. So a uh, quick rundown on what we'll be doing here today. I'm going to give you a little overview. We'll jump into the plot, which is, I don't know, surprisingly short, I thought, for the amount of things that happen. But um, we'll talk a little bit about the development, because I think that's really interesting for this movie. I wanted to talk about casting. Normally, we kind of gloss over that, but I was fascinated with the casting. I'm for so this. excited. And oh I can't wait gosh. to talk about it. Um, we'll do some fun facts and then we'll end with, um, why this film is a cult classic. So, so something totally new and different for us. Um, and that was the table of contents for this episode. So thank you for, uh, sitting through that. All righty. Jumping on in. Uh, The Princess Bride is a 1987 American fantasy comedy romance film directed and co-produced by Rob Reiner and it's starring Carrie. Okay. This is embarrassing, but I don't know if I can say. Is it Els? L-U-L-U-L-E-L-W E S. E L W E S Els? Sure. I should have looked sure. this up. Don't hate nope. me. If I don't know. Carrie L-L-S. I'm just gonna like j- like say it really softly. Like, what L's. did she say? Carrie L-S? Carrie <laughs> Carrie L's? <laughs> oh my god. Um stars Carrie Els. Uh Robin Wright. <laughs> Mandy uh, Patinkin, Chris Sarandon, Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant, and Christopher Guest. Kind of a lit cast, I'm not going to lie. Super lit. Um, I couldn't figure out how I knew Robin Wright, and for some reason I didn't realize it was Robin Wright. Um, It's Jenny. Jenny... From um Forest Gump. Forrest Gump. And it's our, Jenny and, Tr- and Claire from House of Cards. So, exactly, it's yeah, our yeah. queen, Robin Wright. Yeah, she's. She looks famous. really different now. From certain angles, I can see well, it. Well, she's super she's young, so young in this movie. Yeah, she's like a little ingenue face.
0: This must be one of her first like big starring roles because it's such a like a B well not a B movie well I think it probably was a B movie when it came out but uh, I mean it it reads like a B movie but it's so good. Yeah. It's
1: incredible. So, it was adapted by William Goldman from his 1973 novel of the same name, and it tells the story of a farmhand named Wesley, accompanied by companions befriended along the way, who must rescue his love, his true love, Princess Buttercup, from the odious Prince Humperdinck. Oh, Humperdinck, that fucking dick. <laughs> yeah. The film preserves the novel's metafictional narrative style by presenting the story as a book being read by a grandfather played by Peter Falk, to his sick grandson, Fred Savage. So, so cute. Well, let's go ahead and jump on into the story. So, it starts with a grandfather reading a book to his sick grandson, who initially, he's not into it. He's like, no, Grandpa, he's you're like, weird. He's like, I want to play my video games, I want to play video games. I'm a child. Um, but the story is about Buttercup, who's a young woman living on a farm in a, in the fictional kingdom of Florin. Whenever she tells her farmhand Wesley to do something, he always complies saying, as you wish. She eventually realizes that he loves her and that she loves him. Um, and when he leaves to seek his fortune so they can marry, um, he's later attacked by the dread pirate Roberts, who is infamous for never leaving survivors. So everyone assumes he is dead. R.I.P. Question R. I. P. mark? Question mark? To us. <laughs> Five years later, Buttercup is forcibly betrothed to Prince Humberdink, who is the heir to the throne of Florin. Before the wedding, she is kidnapped by three outlaws: a short Sicilian named Ficini, uh, a giant from Greenland named Fezik, and a Spanish fencing master named Enigo Montoya just like oh, who's out for his vengeance and revenge. we love it and he seeks revenge against a six-fingered man who murdered his father in case you were wondering i think he tells us a time or two in the movie does he i don't know maybe i missed that his
0: well, name is inigo montoya montoya you killed my father prepare to die <laughs> uh, <laughs> so good it's
1: so great Prince Humperdinck, his soldiers, and also uh, a new masked man clad in black pursue the outlaws. So basically they take her in a boat. Um, There's some creepy little eel action that happens, but they're taking her to the Cliffs of Insanity where the man in black confronts the outlaws atop the Cliffs of Insanity and defeats Inigo in a duel and knocks him out. He chokes Fezic into unconsciousness. <laughs> this scene is hilarious, by the way, it's incredible. I feel like, you know, I'm not doing it justice, but this is probably the best part of this movie. It's it's really funny, it's such a good scene. It's also like,
0: when they're climbing the Cliffs of Insanity, it's like all upper body strength. <laughs>
1: it's so funny. It's incredible. Um, and then finally, he tricks Vicini into drinking poison, um, killing him instantly. That scene is so funny, too. It's so good. I, it's just so good. It's great. <laughs> I love it. The timing in it, like the comedic timing, is genius. It's really, really it's good. It's so good. Yeah, not the I.O. Kane. I was Stop gonna joke. Okay. The secret inconceivable. ingredient, inconceivable. The secret ingredient in this cocktail is iocane. <laughs> iocane. We've built up a tolerance
0: yeah, because we we've been slowly dabbing so, all of our, our drinks It's slowly iocane. poisoning
1: ourselves. It's fine.
0: twenty twenty two. Am I right? <laughs> I mean,
1: whatever you got to do to get through the day at this point. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Anyways, so the man in black takes Buttercup prisoner and they flee stopping near a gorge. Buttercup correctly guesses that he is the dread pirate Roberts and berates him for killing her beloved Wesley. Seeing Humperdink and his men approaching, Buttercup shoves Roberts down a hill <laughs> wishing death upon him. This is so funny. This part's amazing. This scene has no movie scene makes me laugh the way this scene does. When they're both just tumbling down this hill forever and just like- They're tumbling for <laughs> just like, like s- five and minutes. it's like so
0: ridiculous. Like it's so and
1: good. And they just keep like making the sound effects like, oh, oh, oh,
0: oh. <laughs> but it just
1: goes on for like three whole minutes. For like too long. It's amazing. It's, it's brilliant. Because she throws herself off the ledge. She does. Um, while tumbling down, he shouts as you wish, and uh, Buttercup realizes that it's Wesley, so then she throws herself down the gorge after him, and they are reunited. <laughs> because they survive this like three-minute tumble, this mile-long tumble down it. A- I'm like, where is this gorge?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so far down. It's so, it's so, so steep. Far. <laughs> Wesley explains how Dread Pirate Roberts is actually an inherited title, and he assumed it when the previous Roberts wanted to retire. Having found Buttercup, Wesley intends to surrender the title to another. Humperdinck, however, captures the pair as they emerge from the dangerous fire swamp. Um, <laughs> it's just so incredible. The rous S's rodents, rodents of are unusual people. size. <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about it, but when I was looking at fun facts, I was cracking up because um, they were talking about how they had, like, there's actual people, obviously, in those suits, and one was, like, really fast, and then the other one was, like, very sluggish. I don't know why, but that description just made me, like, really chuckle.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They're like, um, sir, you need to pick it up, sir. Pick up the pace with the rodent costume. R-O-U-S, number two, we're going to need you to pick it up. We're
1: going to need you to pick it up. Snip, take it snap. back. <laughs> oh, my God. So good. Oh, my God. It's incredible. <coughs> um, yes. So Buttercup agrees to return with Humperdinck after he promises to release Wesley. Humperdinck then secretly orders his sadistic vizier, Count Rugen, to take Wesley to his torture chamber, which is called the Pit of Despair. Before being knocked out, Wesley notices that Count Rugen has six fingers on his right hand and realizes that he is the man who killed Inigo's father. Humperdinck falsely promises Buttercup that he will search for Wesley, um, but his real plan is to start a war with the neighboring country of Gilder by killing Buttercup and framing Gilder for her death. Meanwhile, Enigo and Fezzik are reunited after Humperdinck orders thieves to be arrested in the forest in which they are staying. Fezik tells Anigo about Rugen, and Anigo realizes he needs Wesley's help to storm the castle. Buttercup accuses Humperdinck of failing to search for Wesley and calls him a coward. Enraged, Humperdinck imprisons Buttercup and tortures Wesley seemingly to death. Anigo and Fezik, who have heard and followed Wesley's wails through the forest, find his body and bring him to Miracle Max, a folk healer. Played by Billy Crystal, who was fucking hilarious. Incredible, it's the best cameo.
0: He's like in the his makeup is so funny. It's so funny. He's
1: yeah, he's the secret star of this movie. It's
0: so great. It's so great. What a
1: great cameo performance! Oh yes, one (laughs) hundred percent.
0: It's like the glitterati of the nineteen eighties. Like Hollywood is like in this movie. Everybody's in it.
1: No, it's incredible. Like the casting for this is eleven out of ten. So Max revives the mostly dead Wesley, though he is severely weakened. And this part's funny because then they're just, like, dragging him around all over and he can't do anything. <laughs> As Wesley, Anigo, and Fezzik storm the castle, Humperdinck panics and orders the in-progress wedding ceremony to be shortened. Anigo finds Rugen, taunts him for killing Anigo's father, then um, kills him in a duel. Wesley locates Buttercup, who is about to commit suicide, believing she is married to Humperdinck. To her relief, Wesley assures her that the marriage is invalid because she never completed her wedding vows. Humperdinck finds them and attempts to kill Wesley in his defenseless state, but Wesley wills himself to his feet and intimidates the prince into surrender. <laughs> it's great. It's so great. It's so good. Buttercup and Wesley leave Humperdinck tied to a chair as they flee the castle. Like, I mean, th- like, good on you, but like, you should have killed him. Whatever. They should have killed him. He deserved it. Yeah, he's a bad guy. With Rugen dead, Anigo is unsure of what to do with his life, um, and Wesley offers him the dread, the dread Pirates Roberts title, which I think is, like, amazing.
0: It's <laughs> a like, great full circle there for them. It's, it's like, like a cute little
1: bromance they have. I love it. I know. It's so cute. Fezzik has procured four horses, and he, Wesley, Buttercup, and Anigo escape. Wesley and Buttercup safely reunited, share a passionate kiss, and then ride right off into the sunset. It's just the sweetest little ending. I know. Back in the bedroom, the boy eagerly asks his grandfather to read him the story again the next day, to which his grandfather replies, as you wish. Aww, so cute! So wholesome! Um, I know you didn't
0: mention it, but I would like to take a minute for those of you who don't know this, um, if you've ever heard the reference to marriage, it's from this movie. <laughs>
1: Mallage is what, was what wings us, us together.
0: together today. <laughs> so good. It's so funny. I mean, it's this
1: movie so is just so quotable.
0: Yeah, it has a lot of really famous lines in it, I think.
1: Yeah. It's so good. Well, Great talk- rundown. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Um, let's talk a little bit about the development. So Rob Reiner, who had been enamored with Goldman's book ever since it was given to him as a gift from his father, Carl Reiner. In case you were wondering, his name's Carl. Uh, They're both pretty famous, I think. They Carl are. Reiner and Rob Reiner. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he realized he wanted to make this film adaptation after successfully demonstrating his filmmaking skill with the release of This Is Spinal Tap. Um, a couple of years previously. Um, during production of Stand By Me, which was released in 1986, Reiner had spoken to an executive at Paramount Pictures regarding what his next film would be and suggested an adaptation of this book. But he was told that he could not. And it turns out that actually several studios had previously attempted to bring this book to the big screen, but none of them had been successful. So it was kind of considered to be like a career killer in a movie that just couldn't be filmed. So I actually didn't realize that this was a book. yeah. I bet it's a funny book, and I think that like we'll talk about it a little bit in the end, but we can talk about it now. Like I think the reason this book is or this movie is really successful is I think it does stay pretty true to the book, um, oh, and like it really captures like the tone of of the book and like yeah the kind is of heartfelt that. sweetness yeah. of the book. I would yeah,
0: because the movie is very heartfelt. I would say it
1: is. Yeah, so previous attempts included 20th Century Fox, which had paid Goldman $500,000 for the rights and to do a screenplay in 1973. Uh, Richard Lester was signed to direct, and the movie was almost made, but the head of production at Fox was fired, and the project was put on hiatus. So Goldman actually bought the rights to the film back with his own money, <laughs> Um other directors had also attempted to ad- adapt the book, including Francois Truffaut, which you might remember him. He did a lot of those interviews with Alfred Hitchcock, uh, Robert Redford, and Norman Jewison.
0: Robert uh, Redford tried to make this movie. Yeah, that's that's surprising. I didn't know he did like dabbled in comedy. Yeah, funny. is that wild? Like in terms as a director, like I guess he did Butch Cassidy, but like he wasn't directing. Yeah, that, but though. I feel like the tone of that is like very different. It's a very different type of comedy for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, at one point, Christopher Reeve was interested in playing Wesley in a planned adaptation. I know, just so weird. Um, Yeah, so eventually Reiner found success by gaining financial support from Norman Lear, who he had known from All in oh the Family. Oh my god. Yeah.
0: Norman Lear, wow. Yeah, that makes sense in terms of the comedy. Norman Lear
1: just had the eye for comedic investment that he guy. did he knew what was up um and they had worked together he had funded production for this is spinal tap so they had a great working relationship so um and it was distributed by 20th century fox so reiner worked closely with goldman to adapt the book for a screenplay and again i think because he was working directly with the author goldman he was really able to stay true to i think the tone of the book and like the characters in a way that when you're not working directly with the author like sometimes gets lost and uh ho- hollywoodified yeah and you know i think like
0: that is so important and i think we we recently i don't know if we talked about that in our lord of the rings episode but um the what the biggest complaint about lord of the rings even though it is i i maintain as a huge fan of the books that it's like a flawless movie is that it is kind of does stray from the books a lot even though Peter B- Jackson is clearly a huge fan of the books it it um it i don't obviously with Tolkien not being around, he wasn't involved in the production of the of the movie but um it it strays a lot like there's a lot of storylines that just simply don't happen that are really big ones, and I think that's like that's always the the fear when you adapt books into movies and I think you know like a big one that was so successful in being so true to the books was obviously Harry Potter obviously there's a lot of like you know not jk rowling as a person not aging so well in her certain comments that she makes but she was very very involved with the making of those movies um which like led them to be very like closely um adapted to the books and i think it just it kind of makes a huge difference in terms of like really capturing the tone of something you love so much i mean because like you're making a movie because like when you're adapting it because people love the book and so if you don't capture that tone I think that that can always fall short but I, I think I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast but you and I surely I think have talked about it like for p- obviously for people that don't know Lydia and I recently read a book together called <laughs> the seven husbands of yes. Evelyn Hugo um we didn't like read it together but we read it at the same time um, that's actually a little I, weird I was I
1: was sick and Sara read it out loud to me
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was like put away your video games Lydia I'm reading you this book
1: I was like Ew, Grandpa, stop it.
0: No, but we were reading it simultaneously and um, we found out at the same time like while we were reading it because we both became so obsessed with it that they're adapting it into a movie and that the author is going to be very heavily involved in the writing and production which is just like it gives you like when you love a book so much it's so nice to see. So yeah, I, just, I think it's is. really important that he was um, involved.
1: Because that way too if there is anything that deviates from the book it feels more like intentional. You know what I mean? Like it's been thought through for whatever reason to change that and I yeah I think that that's a big part of why this film holds up so well is because of Goldman's direct involvement um in writing it yeah and you kind of get the sense that the author gave his blessing yeah absolutely um so let's talk about the casting because like you mentioned this cast is absolutely iconic I know it's so good so Reiner had decided on Carrie Ells pretty early on (laughs) (laughs) Carrie,
0: Carrie, let's just <laughs> go to call, call him. him. Carrie. We're gonna call him
1: Carrie. He had decided on Carrie really early on after a performance in Lady Jane. Um, there was some like concern that he might not be able to play Wesley in the movie because he had some other engagements. Um, but it was really cute because um, Carrie had actually read the book in his childhood and associated himself with the character of Wesley. Oh, uh, I never adorable. believed he'd have the opportunity to play him. So I thought that was really oh. sweet. Like he really felt like you know
0: connected to the character he's great like he is so good as wesley like it's just the type of comedy is just so like witty and it's it's just one it's, it's really great. So it's it's so dry it's it's so dry it's so perfect i wouldn't say it's like as dry as monty python but it's definitely
1: very similar vibes for sure yeah it's it's so good um So what was fascinating to me is that Robin Wright was cast like a week before filming started, which is absolutely wild. And they auditioned like a a huge amount of actresses. Like they wanted her to maybe be like English, um, but they just hadn't found the right buttercup. And I'm going to read you a list of some of the people that they auditioned because it's very like 80s. So amazing.
0: I guess I guess I should revise a statement I made earlier because I guess this wasn't as like B list as I thought. Like this is a pretty major production movie that people wanted to do, like actors, like famous people wanted to do.
1: Yeah, I think that that's true. People were really interested in it. I but it's still not like a. I wouldn't say it's it's not like a high production, but it's not a high production movie. Okay, so who were who some of the people that auditioned? Okay, get, get ready, because this is wild. Because I was trying to picture this movie with all of these different people, and it just doesn't work. Okay, Uma Thurman.
0: Oh, my God. So, okay, so it's just going to be an a list of, like, 80s icons. Yeah, get okay. ready.
1: Meg Ryan. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's like, Wesley, you've got mail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean Young. Oh my God! Uh, Susan, Amys Courtney Cox, Alexandra Paul, and Whoopi Goldberg really <laughs> wanted to be Buttercup. <laughs> Sweet Whoopi! Oh my she, God! She like really, really threw herself at that role, and I love that. It, would, was, be it would be hilarious, incredible, but it would be Buttercup like- back in the
0: habit. <laughs> oh my God! That's the sequel. <laughs> Um, I I will say super tan, super tangent, but probably one of my favorite sequels of all time is Sister Act two, Back in the Habit. It's like one of the funniest
1: movies ever. I mean, Sister Act is just iconic. Like what a Sister great Act movie. Sister Act two, Back in the Habit. It's like the best so title. Good. We love Catholic humor.
0: Wow, like Whoopi Goldberg. I was not expecting that name. Isn't that right? Cox is like I cannot see her in this movie. She will the just always be people... Monica to me. And I can't. Yeah, unfortunately me too. But I unfortunately, because for her that sucks that she'll always be associated with the one role. But um obviously Robin Wright is like is Buttercup, so I can't picture anybody else. But the only person off that list that I could like maybe see I don't know. I like
1: I guess Meg Ryan, but I don't I don't even really I think. I feel like I could... she's like, yeah, I just think she's kinda too spunky girl next door and you need to be like more
0: Wesley, Uh you've got (laughs) me You got mail.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can't really
0: but okay, so I'm curious as to why they were like we need a British actress, but then like everyone Everyone was American American. (laughs) I have no idea. They didn't really go too much into depth there. I will say Robin Wright does not give a one hundred percent into her British accent. It definitely slips.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean (laughs) I'm not even sure she's trying though. I don't think she was trying. It's definitely more of like a kind of a transatlantic situation, and if time, anything. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> definitely. Oh, that's interesting. That's quite a list of people. Yeah. So I thought that was like very fascinating. Um, and I always love stories like this. So Wright's agent had heard that there was a casting call out and encouraged her to audition. Um, and she was super shy. Um, and at first, um, but they invited her to come meet Goldman at his house. And apparently she, when they opened the door, she was standing there in a white summer dress with her long blonde hair and it was like, she was like being backlit. So it looked like she had a halo Oh my! and God. everyone <laughs> just like looked at each other and was like, well, that's sh- it. That's it. <laughs> like she's hired. <laughs> like amazing. Easiest audition of her life. <laughs> Truly. Um, Mandy Patinkin and Wallace Shawn were early choices, um, but... What I think is hilarious is that Danny DeVito was also considered for the role of Vizzini, which would have been hilarious, but also a very That,
0: I can actually see that, though. Like, that would have been hysterical.
1: He would have been really funny. Yeah. I could see that, yeah. It's incredible. Um, which leaves the role of Fezzik, which I thought this... This is, like, a wild ride. Okay, so originally Goldman, when he shopped the novel in the early 1970s, his first choice... For Fezzik, was Andre the Giant. Um, like, he's always been, like, number one. But his wrestling schedule at the time was just, like, absolutely insane and left him unavailable for filming. So, guess who the second choice for Andre the Giant was? I'm Sorry, for Fezzik, for Andre the Giant. I'm like, I don't know. Was it, like, Mr. T or something? No, it's weirder um Arnold Schwarzenegger was oh my god yeah was the second <laughs> choice which like terminator the giant i don't know
0: was it after he He's made like, the first one not like <laughs> <laughs> oh my god wait i
1: can't picture that at all like i guess size-wise yeah. i can it's but, just weird, because he looks more like an action figure than he does, like, he's not, like, a giant. He's just, like, really buff.
0: Yeah, Andrew the Giant's supposed to be kind of,
1: like, klutzy. Like, not klutzy, but he's yeah. just kind of, like, vibing. Yeah, because really, like... he's so giant. Um, But what was interesting is, at the time, so in the early 70s, when Goldman was originally shopping this script around... Schwarzenegger was basically unknown but by the time it finally got greenlit he was a major film star and they couldn't afford him anymore (laughs) oh my god
0: so he had already made the terminator i'm assuming
1: then. i think so i think think so um so they contacted the world wrestling federation to ask about hiring andre but were told that the filming conflicted with a wrestling match in tokyo um that would if he won pay him five million dollars so he was like out um so they auditioned a bunch of other tall men, including Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh my God, <laughs> but um, none of these panned out. Um, He's not like buff though. He's like a skinny. Tall I know. Guy. He's just <laughs> tall. He's super tall. Um, Liam Neeson also auditioned, but he was turned down because he wasn't tall enough. <laughs> yeah,
0: he's not very big.
1: Yeah. But, near the end of this casting, when they're like, fuck, what are we gonna do? Um, the World Wrestling Foundation, um, let them know that actually this match had been cancelled, and so that allowed Andre the Giant to be Fezzik. So Wait,
0: that's a- Im- wow. That's like- can you just, like, imagine if this random match had not been cancelled? Like, how- <laughs> Like this one random match, this one moment in history had not been cancelled, like the entire film, like history of like film would be different. Would be changed. Because I mean, it's let's so be honest. Interesting.
1: These backup options were weird. Not ideal. <laughs> not great. Not ideal. But what was really cute is that this experience of filming a movie was really positive i think andre the giant was like nervous coming in because he was so big that people were going to make like fun of him or be awkward because he had um, never been in a movie before, he'd never been I in guess. a movie before and i think you know people kind of painted him as like a freak and like that was his whole like kind of persona but um everyone was really nice to him and just treated him like a fellow member of the cast and he had a lot of fun and a really. everybody was
0: like super nice to each other and they were all friends yeah which is the best i'm so i love that so much yeah when
1: that happens so when this film came out it actually did pretty well at the box office it's not like some other cult classics that we've seen that were absolute bombs like it actually did solid um it didn't do as well as as like movies like big which came out a little bit later which i feel like have kind of a similar like vibe um but it actually became a cult classic once it became available on home video. So once it was released, um, like on VHS or whatever, then it really started to blow up and became the cult classic that it is uh, today. Yes. So the
0: importance of home video,
1: which is like a very eighties thing to call it. I very
0: eighties thing.
1: <laughs> um, and apparently Goldman was a little bit upset because he felt like the production or like he didn't feel like 20th century fox or whatever did a good job marketing the project like they just didn't quite know like how to sell it and he feels like it could have done a lot better initially in the box office if they had just been able to position it better um like i think a lot of people compared to like big which came out later and was really successful in the box office but they kind of took a different approach with how they marketed it so it's interesting because like I, I get big, like I like it. I think it's like a fun
0: Tom Hanks movie, but it's like a really weird premise. It's so weird with like the fortune teller guy. And then he's like older, but then he like <laughs> the lady falls in love with him and then he's like a little kid it's and so they just creepy. Like, kind of walk. It's super weird. I, it's not, I don't think it aged as well as this movie though.
1: No, definitely not. Yeah, this. I will say this age movie aged very well. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, still it funny. Well. There's like nothing offensive in it, which I feel like anytime I watch an older movie that's like a classic, I'm always like, all right. Spoiler for next week's movie. Yeah, we'll get into it at the end. Yay. (laughs) Um, I also did want to note that um, there have been many failed musical adaptation attempts of this film. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my
0: god! Could you imagine? One of the songs is called "Prepare to Die." (laughs) It's just like inconceivable, inconceivable.
1: Oh my god. I just just wrote it for you. It's just
0: Chicago, but it's like words from the Princess. (laughs) Oh my god. Incredible. Oh my god. And Uh, as you wish instead of all that jazz. (laughs) As As you you wish. wish.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm into it. I think that this is a sign that we should make. Oh my god, can you imagine instead of the Roxy number,
0: they just do Buttercup?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Buttercup's badass enough to have her own number. (laughs) We don't know enough about Buttercup. Oh
0: my god, I'm dead. That's too funny. She's like barely a character, so it's fine. Yeah, truly, that's actually a good point. (laughs) I will say if if you were to like nitpick and find one offensive thing about this, it's like the damsel in distress Like It's the fact that she...
1: That she just doesn't even matter at all and She doesn't, doesn't do anything. Does not like she's when they're useless. in the swamp, the fire mm-hmm. swamp, like I'm like, just let her die. He's like physically moving her body out of the way. I know. <laughs> like and then like the rat's yeah. like on top of him, like literally ripping her. And she's to his like, Leslie, no. I'm like, girl, get in there. <laughs> One and of them is sluggish, you can take it. <laughs> yeah, it's the sluggish rat was on him, okay? Like, the, the fast rat wasn't anywhere to be seen. <laughs> yeah, so many failed musical adaptation attempts. Um, there was also a rumored remake at one point. They were going to remake it, and everyone was basically like, no. Don't you dare. Like, don't. Remember
0: when they remade Footloose?
1: It's like, That why? was so bad. It's just like, stop you know like like, we don't need that nobody asked why try
0: to remake perfection it doesn't make sense yeah
1: you can't so anyways luckily there hasn't I don't think there's been another attempt to remake it but I really wish they wouldn't it just needs to be left the fuck alone (laughs) all right well let's jump into fun facts who doesn't love some fun facts okay I'm so excited Um, So I wanted to talk about the sword fight. We didn't actually talk about this when we were talking about the plot, really. We briefly glossed over it, but this sword fight is incredible. Um, And it's choreographed um, by Peter Diamond and Bob Anderson, who between the two of them had been in the Olympics. They worked on Bond, Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, and Star Wars. So like they're very, I mean, they probably created most of the big fight scenes that we know and love. Um. so they they like just spent like every spare moment practicing this fight scene and eventually when they showed Rob Reiner the fight scene he was underwhelmed and was like yeah it needs to be three minutes instead of the one minute that they had like choreographed oh my god <laughs> So they watched like. Because it is like pretty long. It's actually. really long, but it's incredible. Like it's super yeah, it's fun wonderful. to watch. And I think it also adds this comedy that's just amazing. Um, oh my God. So they yeah. watched like a ton of movies for inspiration. They re choreographed it and they ended up with what we now um, know as this three minute and ten-second fight scene. Um, and it took the better part of a week to film it from all the different angles. So, wow. oh a labor God. of love. I love it. <laughs> During this fight scene, um, Inigo and Wesley refer to um, a bunch of different terms, which I thought were kind of fun, and they're named after their fourteenth and fifteenth century proponents. So Bonetti's defense refers to refraining refraining from attacking on uneven terrain. Um, capo for Capofera, Capofera refers to linear attack, the best for uneven terrain. And Tybalt refers to angular defenses and attacks. And Agrippa refers to natural short sword movements, which cancel out angular defenses and attacks. So, in wow. case you see were wondering what they're talking Expert, about.
0: Expertise. I'm now you it. know.
1: Now you know. Um, a couple more fun facts. All right. Florin and Gilder are made-up kingdoms, but they reference a single historical coin... ...called both Florin and Gilder. It's a subtle joke implying that the two kingdoms are interchangeable. <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's very fair. Yeah. It also implies that this the film is set after the year um 1252 when the coin was introduced. So there you go.
0: We have a timeline,
1: ladies and gentlemen.
0: I feel like it's a very generic name. Yeah. But it feels like, like a fantasy timey. kingdom
1: yeah. movie. Totally. Like, yeah. They did sure. a good job with the naming.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's perfect. The whole vibe is is perfect. It's, it's, it's yeah.
1: amazing. Um, the pit of despair where Wesley is tortured is a new creation, and it replaces the zoo of death that was originally in the book, but would have been far too expensive to create. So... Is it
0: literally just like a bunch of animals in I don't one know. room?
1: Just the zoo of death. It's just like a. <laughs> it's it's the fast R O U S. <laughs> it's just in there, just like going oh crazy. My God. <laughs> They just have him in a room just like just like
0: spinning around. <laughs> Not the sluggish one though. He didn't. They're make like the, the sluggish cut. one gets to
1: stay outside. Leave it in the, the fire swamp. <laughs> oh my god, that's too great. Um As You Wish is said seven times, four by Wesley and three by the grandfather. Inconceivable is said five times, and the famous line, My name is Nigo Montoya, is said six times.
0: Yep, it sure is. And you'd never miss one of them. It's said a
1: lot. You can't. So you can't miss it. Um, So let's talk a little bit about why this film is a cult classic. I think we've discussed a little bit about it, but Sara, I'm interested to get your take on why this movie is still such a big part of popular culture. I was thinking about it, and I don't... No, I
0: just like for me personally, I think there's something so nostalgic about this movie like it's very 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 um ingrained into the eighties like it's it's it like defines what I picture being like a child in the eighties is is just watching this movie a lot, even though I watched this movie a lot when I was a kid, but I think that's what's so beautiful about it, right like it it's kind of one of those ageless movies, and I think it kind of hit me when you said that it became so popular when it went on home video. I think what made what is so good about this movie, what made it so be able to kind of like be so popular and last so long is that it's a it's kind of a a perfect family movie. Like people of any age can enjoy this movie and I think that's why it's so important to me like that's I've grown up watching this I can watch it when I was 10 or now and I can still think it's just as funny but for different reasons and that's kind of why I think I just feel like it's just so universal I don't don't really know why this one is the one that's like that but I just feel like there's something so heartwarming about this movie and it's just so fun and it's like a sweet romance but it's a comedy and it's swashbuckling so it's like it just kind of has everything and it's really universal and kind of timeless I just that's for me that's kind of what I why I feel like it's um kind of a cult classic, I don't... It's not really, like, there isn't really, like, a... I don't know, I feel like I was able to articulate it more with, like, Rocky Horror or, like, Invasions of the Body Snatchers or something like that, but I just think this movie's just so sweet. Like, that's kind of when, what it boils down to.
1: I couldn't have said it better myself. I think you nailed exactly why this movie is still such a big part of of, like, film history, and it's so iconic, you know? I
0: think it's, like, it's also kind of one of those movies that's not only so important to film history but I think it's I think it's one of the one of the few films that's truly truly ingrained in the American lexicon of like culture. Agreed. I it's just so fundamental I don't know like I don't know a person that hasn't at least heard of this movie.
1: Yeah and I feel like most people even if maybe you didn't realize it was from that movie there are so many quotes that I think are just part of Like common vernacular, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's such a special movie. So I, I found a little quote that I thought uh we could sum it up with because they said it better than I did, and I thought it was really sweet. So, we'll just okay. At the end of Princess Bride, the book, after our heroes have all safely ridden off into the sunset, Goldman writes, I mean, I really do think that love is the best thing in the world except for cough drops. But I also have to say, for the umpity umpth time, that life isn't fair. It's just fairer than death. That's all. Like life itself, The Princess Bride is ridiculous on the outside, but contains much truth on the inside. The movie is a miracle miracle pill. Buried in the farce is a heartfelt and sincere worldview, one that knows pure magic can actually happen no matter what age. (laughs) I love that. And you
0: know, I think it's it's something that we have strung through this entire podcast and I think it's one the one thing that every single movie no matter the genre the story whatever have in common is that movies are an escape and I think it's I I don't remember who it was someone at MGM from the golden age said it's like the best the best mode of transportation is a movie because it's the best it's the best way to it's the best way to escape. And I think this movie is just the perfect example of an escape from any type of like hard thing that's going on in the world. You can throw this movie on and it'll just make you forget or just put you in a good mood and just make you feel like love matters and hope is there and you can just be happy for a couple hours and I think that's like when it boils down to why movies are so loved beloved in the world in general and why they'll always be there and why we love talking about them is that they they bring joy and I think this movie just is the it's purest so example. Of that. Yeah. yeah
1: it's very it's joyful. So joyful. Um well I think it comes as no surprise. I personally highly recommend this movie. If you haven't seen it, again this is great like you know, Steven's not a huge film person. He really enjoyed this movie. He had never seen it. Um, I think this is just such a fun movie to watch, to your point. Like, these past I don't, past couple years, I guess, honestly, have been really hard and just heavy. And so I just forgot how much fun this movie was to watch. And to your point, like, I was so immersed. It was escapism at its finest. And it really just transports you to another Another fantastical world. It's just so... It's just so pleasurable to watch. So, Sue is the only person in the world that
0: does not like this movie. Apparently. Sue doesn't... Sue doesn't believe in magic, apparently. I really need to know why she doesn't like it. There has to be a reason. I don't know.
1: Look, I'm all for having opinions. Like, I even, like, feel like I love a hot take. As long as you can justify why you have that hot take. You know what I mean? Like... You can just have an opinion and be like, I hate it. It's like, well, why do you hate it? I just hate it. It's like, well, no.
0: I need more than that. This
1: movie, it's
0: so good. (laughs) But agree, escapism at its finest. I would totally just echo everything you said. I would one hundred percent recommend this to everybody. Anyone can watch it. Like, it's a great family movie, and I think to your point, like even people that aren't super big film buffs or or want to watch those niche cult classics like this one anyone can enjoy i think
1: yeah i i completely agree
0: yeah
1: well i think that's it with that
0: thank you so much for listening
1: yeah thanks guys to our
0: conversation on uh the princess bride that was a fun one I think that wraps up our month of cult classics. It does. The Grand finale. I know it was fun. We went through quite a variety of them. Inconceivable. <laughs> we went through such a variety of cult classics, Again. and I think it's important to highlight movies that are important to certain groups of people. And I think um, it's they're fun. All like when it boils down to is that they're just they're they're weird and fun, and it's great. But um, to kind of juxtapose what we talked about this month. Next month, we're going to kind of go back to our roots. Not our Hitchcockian roots, but Not our yet. old That's Hollywood. Now. Yeah, we will do that eventually again. <laughs> but um, kind of go back to... Uh, some old Hollywood movies and we're gonna talk about some I know it feels a little redundant because it's kind of what we've been talking about But we're gonna talk about those like purest actual classics next month so real classics next month and why they're classics and maybe why some of them shouldn't be anymore like hikey loki hikey suck a little <laughs> So we're gonna, ta- we're gonna it's gonna be a month of hot takes um and it'll be it'll be really fun so we're deep breaths for me. Um but we're kicking it off next week and I think it I think we were not going to be able to do this podcast without talking about this movie eventually. Um but I think we're doing it at the right time and and uh we're going to have a great conversation about it. I think it'll be really fun. Um but I will warn uh people it is going to be full of hot takes for some of you. I don't think they should be hot takes, but some people think that these are hot takes. But next week, join us as we straight skewer Gone with the Wind. <laughs> oh,
1: I can't wait.
0: And why that movie should maybe be Gone with the Wind. <laughs> oh, I like what you did there. Thank you so much. Clever. I have so, many, so many things to say about this film. So I'm very excited about it. Um, It'll be great. So we have a great lineup of movies. and Some of them are really great, and I think some of them are classics for a reason, so I'm just, excited to talk about it. Some of them just don't hold up, so we'll talk about it. Some of them some don't hold good. up, so it'll be good. Uh, but yeah, we're going to kick it off with uh, probably the most famous movie ever made, Gone with the Wind. Next week, uh, so join us then, um, and we're going to have to pour a stiff drink for that one. I was going <laughs> to say,
1: what are we rough. drinking and how drunk should I get? <laughs> but,
0: uh, so join us next week when we talk about Gone with the Wind and all of its weird glory, Um, but until then, Cheers. cheers!